was the first to actually make it work. That is, thanks to our generous listening community that understood the importance of a local independent media voice. In that great listener-sponsored tradition, February 14th, Valentine's Day, starts KPFA's next fun drive. And you can share the love today with KPFA by pledging just $100 or more. All funds collected before Valentine's Day will go to replenish KPFA's matching fund. Please go to kpfa.org right now and share the love. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. It is 3 p.m., and up next is Cover to Cover, Open Book. Hi, I'm Brian DeShazer, Director of the Pacifica Radio Archives, and welcome to From the Vault, our weekly series that takes our history out of the vault and onto the radio. This week, we begin our month-long special programming dedicated to Black History Month. I get so sick and tired of traveling across the country and Negroes coming up to me with their chest stuck out. I'm the only Negro in the city council. I'm the only somebody on a committee. I'm the only Negro in this and the other. We don't want no only anything. The Reverend Ralph Abernathy, born 1926, died 1990, was a Baptist minister and one of the key architects of the African-American Civil Rights Movement. Today we will hear one of his sermons he delivered on October 18, 1960. The Reverend Ralph Abernathy was born and raised in Alabama, and by 1952, he ministered to the largest predominantly African-American congregation in Montgomery, Alabama. When seamstress Rosa Parks refused to relinquish her bus seat to a white passenger, Abernathy and fellow Montgomery minister Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. together organized the Montgomery bus boycott. In 1957, he co-founded the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which was to become one of the most prominent organizations in the fight for desegregation. Here is the sermon Reverend Ralph Abernathy delivered to the Southern Christian Leadership Conference on October 18, 1960. At the time, Pacifica Radio was one of the only media outlets, radio or television, that broadcast speeches like this. Audiences in Berkeley, California, New York, and Los Angeles had an insight into the movement before the rest of the country did. In the South, speeches like this would have been banned from broadcast. Thanks to courageous men like Reverend Ralph Abernathy, the United States Congress had no choice but to pass the Civil Rights Act in 1964. There are one or two signs on this road to freedom which we must observe if we are truly to make this journey. And I wish to leave one or two of these signs with you as I go to my seat this evening. The first sign on the road to freedom says that where there is unity, there is strength. Unless we come together and bind ourselves together as one group, we will never be free in America. If the Negro would stand up 18 million strong along with the liberal white people of America today we could win our freedom week after next if we would decide that we are not going to pay to be segregated any longer 
that we are not going to participate any longer in any forms of discrimination. I guarantee you we could win our freedom in America. We would come together and decide that we are not going to just sit down at a lunch counter somewhere. But we are going to sit down on America. We wouldn't have to sit down but a week and a half before some force and some power would come to our rescue. But do you know there are Negroes in Montgomery? And I don't guess they are in Nashville. I believe some of them are, though. Who are still paying their insurance and buying their insurance from white insurance agents who come in their houses without ringing the doorbell, without removing their hats, and calling them by their first names, Susie, Molly, how much you gonna pay today? And the Negroes are keeping them in business. A few weeks ago, I was in San Francisco, and I walked the picket line in front of Woolworth's store, and my heart was made to bleed as I saw Negroes crossing the line, going into Woolworth, only to buy popcorn and, and, and ice cream. Can't. And I said, no force in the world can free a people like this unless they are determined to win their own freedom. So in Pittsburgh, a young lady came up to me and she said to me, oh, I'm so much concerned about the plight of you people down in the South. And I hope that someday you will eventually get your rights. I'm very, very much concerned. And I looked at her, and her speech betrayed her because she had gotten a little proper brogue, but there was still something Mississippian about her son. And I said to her, how long have you been in Pittsburgh? And she said, oh, well, uh, Begin to swallow. And said, well, well, I've been here a year and a half now. And I said, you think that you are in the land of promise here in Pittsburgh? And she said, oh, yes, we have our freedom here. I'm trying to say to you this, after this evening, my friends, as long as your face is black, I don't care whether you live in Boston, Massachusetts. Or Chitlin' Switch, Alabama. <laughs> you are just another Negro in America. I don't care how much money you have in your pocket, how many degrees you have, where you live, what kind of job you occupy. You are nothing but another Negro in America, all over America. And now I venture to say as long as your skin is black, you are considered inferior all over the world. I said to Prime Minister Kwame Nkrumah 
a few months ago, the real problem for the black peoples of the world today is to lift the stigma off of black in the world. For it is felt all over the world, as long as your skin is black, that you cannot produce, that you are not capable of producing. I was in Chicago the other day and I took a non-stop jet flight from O'Hara Field to San Francisco International Airport. I got on this plane and I had a first-class ticket. And my wife sees to it that I use the best aftershave lotion and cologne in the world. And I had it on. And I use ivory soap. And it lathers very well. And I have one good suit. I don't have it on tonight, but I have one, one good suit. And I had it on. And I got on there smelling all right. And even the brethren in this audience must confess tonight that I look all right. I was smelling all right and looking all right. And I got on that plane in Chicago. You listen to me. Chicago, not Augusta, Georgia. And I took my seat. And as the white passengers boarded that plane, they looked it from center to circumference. They looked it from front to back. And only after one passenger discovered that he couldn't find a seat anywhere else, did he come and take one beside me. This was not in Mississippi or Georgia somewhere. But this was in Chicago, Illinois. And I only point that out. For everywhere I go, that is the case. I can have a whole seat by myself in as much comfort as I choose. Unless the plane is crowded. And the rest of you who travel, if you made a confession, would confess the very same thing. I don't care how many PhDs and LLDs and no kind of Ds you got. And how much money you have in your pocket. You are just another Negro in America. And this mess of Negroes separating themselves from other Negroes. Beating their way across the railroad track and feeling that they are better than other Negroes. And practicing segregation and discrimination in our own ranks is a sin before Almighty and eternal God. And you are going to wake up one day and discover that you are no freer as long as your skin is black than your brothers and sisters who are down in the alleys of Nashville, Tennessee. We are together in this country. Where there is unity, there is strength, says the sign. We can't all be the leaders in this movement. We never would have gotten off a base in Montgomery if we had not gotten behind a Martin Luther King and built the greatest religious leader in the world today. And consequently, 
men respect him all over the world. And that is what we must do. There is too much jealousy in our ranks. Everybody want to be the leader. And unless he can be the leader, he's going to rock the boat and flunk the movement and the organization. The next sign on this road says leadership. Leadership. For God's sake, don't sell the race down the river for a pat on the back and for a mess of pottage. For too often, our leaders have sold the people short only for their own advantage in order that they might get ahead, in order that their picture might get in the paper somewhere, in order that they might be praised of man, in order that they might get some man. They have sold the rigs down the river. I by no means count myself as an example at this point. But if I had been looking for riches, I wouldn't have to be a poor man this evening. For they have come to me by day and by night to sell out my people. But I've said over and over again, I would rather suffer the afflictions with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. We must have leadership in this struggle that is willing to suffer with the people. Some of you may have heard me say this, for I've told this over and over again. It was a true story. It happened to me in Montgomery. A cop drove up beside me and looked down in my car after having stopped me at my physique. He said to me, all right, get out, Chevy. I looked up at him and I said, my name isn't Chevy. And then he proceeded to curse me out and said, I don't care what your name is. And I looked up at him again and said, now, I don't care what your name is either. Not as long as I can see that number on your badge. Then he said to me, don't you get smart with me. And I said, don't you get smart with me. Because the same law that says I must respect you as an officer of the law says that you must respect me as a citizen of the law. And I helped to make that law because I'm one of the registrars of the state of Alabama. He didn't know what I was talking about. I meant that I'm a registered voter. (laughs) And then he began to scratch his head and he looked down at me and said to me, Well, sure enough, tell me, who is you? identified myself. He said, oh, Reverend, I'm so sorry I stopped you. I'm so sorry I stopped you. You just go right on about your business. I guess you on your way to a prayer meeting. (laughs) Here he has stopped me, cursed me out, embarrassed me, called me out of my name, and now he discovers that I'm a minister, leader in the movement in Montgomery. And now he wants to extend me a special handout and tells me to go home to my prayer meeting. If I wasn't in this sophisticated Methodist church, I'd tell you what I said. (laughs) I am nobody special, and I'm not looking for any special favors. I said to him, I cannot go until I bless your soul. For come 
down the street behind me are the most humble members in my congregation who can't speak for themselves. I must speak for them. My lessons are headed down the street behind me. The members of my choir are headed down the street behind me. You have cursed me out and then you're going to curse them out. And they will not have a title to their names. And they will not receive the type of treatment that now you discover that you think I'm on my way to a prayer meeting that you wish to extend to me. For too long, we have been invited downtown. The big Baptist preacher, the Methodist bishop, the Negro undertaker, and one or two other Negroes downtown in the Chamber of Commerce in a hotel somewhere and they serve us tea and cookies <laughs> and the Negroes have eaten all the cookies and drank up all the tea and the white men have said we wouldn't mind getting you this integration if all of the Negroes were like you. But you are different from the rest of the Negroes. And as soon as the Negroes finish all the cookies and the tea, they leave the meeting with their chest stuck out, saying to themselves, you know we are different from the rest of the Negroes. to sell our people out for a cup of tea and a cookie. What we really want is freedom in America. I get so sick and tired of traveling across the country and Negroes coming up to me with their chest stuck out. I'm the only Negro in the city council. I'm the only somebody on a committee. I'm the only Negro in this and the other. We don't want no only anything. You don't have anything to boast of until you can get five or six Negroes on the city council. Then let me hear you boast. Here we don't have but four Negro congressmen in the United States of America. And then we boasting of their only this and the only other. There is nothing for us to do but to get on this road to freedom and observe these signs. The third sign on the road to freedom says that if you will reach your destination, then you must be willing to suffer. You must be willing to suffer. I wish that I could assure you this, this evening that you won't lose your job. But you may lose it. I, I, I have no guarantee to offer. They lost their jobs in Montgomery, Alabama during the bus protest. These were maids, cooks, and butlers who lost their jobs then. They lost their jobs when they closed the parks in Montgomery. But now we're talking about integrating the schools and the student sins have scared the life out of the teachers in Montgomery, Alabama. 
And now they come to us over and over again asking us please to slow down the movement. Because they don't want to lose their teaching jobs. Let me tell you something this evening. And I know that I'm too hard on you tonight. But there are some nights I have hard nights. I have <laughs> something. I, I know I should have it sweeter with Jim Lawson here. I ought to have a little sweet speech tonight, but I, I can't do any better. It's a part of me. Let me tell you that it's no more for a school teacher to lose a $500 a month job than it is for a butler to lose his $15 a week job. the same. He has to live out of his, and you have to live out of yours. You must be willing to suffer along the wayside. I stand here this evening. My home has been bombed. My wife and my daughter was almost killed in it. My church has been dynamited. And when Martin Luther King left Montgomery, Alabama the other day, he wanted me to go to take over the directorship of the Southern Leadership Conference. But it cost us $50,000 to rebuild our church after the bombing. And I couldn't go off and leave those struggling people who are still struggling with that load there in the heat of the day. My body has been attacked like the Apostle Paul I bear in my body. The bruises and the scars of a soldier of the cross and a follower of the Lamb. I've been locked up in jail as a criminal. I've been called everything but a child of God. My head is bloody, but heaven knows it's unbound. Because I have a Savior who told me to go one day. And he said, if you go, I'll go with you. And during the darkest hours of our movement, he has been right there by my side. And I'm a living witness to the fact this evening that he will never leave you alone. If you would be free, you must be willing to suffer for that freedom. My credit has been cut off. My deacons came the other day and said to me, and I, yes, I have two suits hanging over my head. A suit uh, from the city commissioners suing me for a half million dollars. I counted my money before I came over here tonight, and I had $4.73. A half million dollars. And then the governor of the state of Alabama says that he is going to file suit now against me for $100,000. Simply because my name appeared on an ad in the New York Times soliciting funds to defend Martin Luther King. But in the midst of all of this, I'm not tired. And I'm not turning around. They indicted Martin Luther King and Montgomery for income tax evasion. But you heard the news Saturday afternoon. God threw a white jury. Not a Negro jury but a white jury. Not a jury on which you had a single Negro, but an all-white jury. Not a jury in a northern state, but in Montgomery, Alabama, set Martin Luther King free. What I'm really 
trying to say to you children is to walk on in the faith, knowing that you'll never walk alone. Know that world opinion today is on your side. All over the world, men and women are looking to America, and they see what America is doing here. Know that the Constitution of the United States is on your side. I say to you, walk together, children. Don't you get weary, for there's a great camp meeting in the promised land. listening to a sermon called On Freedom Road by Reverend Ralph Abernathy from 1960 on From the Vault. For more information or to get a copy of this program or browse the other programs in our series, visit us online at fromthevaultradio.org or call us toll free at 1-800-735-0230. You can research our collection at pacificaradioarchives.org. And now back to our program. For the remainder of the program, we present highlights from the event entitled We Want to Be Free, the next large civil rights event that the Reverend Ralph Abernathy spoke at here in Los Angeles at Wrigley Field on May 26, 1963. It is approximately five minutes to three now. Shortly after 3 p.m., we will begin the program here from Wrigley Field. I want each of you to know that the Negroes of the South have been emancipated from the crippling shackles of fear that have enslaved them across the years. And we have not let the fire hoses the angry and howling dogs, Mr. Bull Connor and his tanks, vicious and brutal policemen, turn us around. And nothing, nor no one, will be able to stop us short of first-class citizenship. I know what I want to tell you this afternoon for my people in the South. Don't you worry about the Negroes in the South. Now, my friends, as I go to my seat, I want to say to you that I received a letter the other day from a lady who identified herself as a white woman. And of course, she suggested that I would organize a movement and take all of the Negroes back to Africa. Well, I try and be nonviolent at all times. But this disturbed me when I remembered the fact that we fought to defend this nation in the time of war, all the way from Boston Commons down to the present time. 
whether it was on the sad Sunday morning at Pearl Harbor or on the beach of Normandy or the hills of Italy. Black men fought, bled, and died, and America is our home. I wanted to raise one question with that lady, but she gave no return address. And then I wanted to make a statement. I wanted to know how in the hell can you go back where you've never been? <laughs> the second statement I wanted to say to her was that until the Englishman goes back to England, until the Italian goes back to Italy, the Irishman goes back to Ireland, and the white man gives this country back to the Indian, the Negro is here to stay. That does it for this week's From the Vault. Reverend Ralph Abernathy assumed the leadership of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference following Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination in 1968. He also led the Poor People's Campaign of 1968. You can hear more about the Poor People's Campaign and the Civil Rights Movement by visiting us online at fromthevaultradio.org. If you would like to join our campus campaign sponsoring school libraries across the country, visit us online at pacificaradioarchives.org. 